2: Afternoon and welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always good being with you and I have to give a special special shout out to one of our newest affiliates joining the leslie marshall family that's w p e k 880 am the revolution will not be televised it'll be on radio and it'll be coming to you live in Asheville, north carolina welcome to the leslie marshall show family for those of you who aren't familiar this is michelle jawando and i joined the leslie marshall family maybe about a few months ago, and I come to you live on air, mostly on Thursdays from 3 to 4, and today I'm going to be here for the full show.
3: Yay!
2: Yay! Get excited, people! And I'm super excited because there are a number of amazing guests that I'm going to have in studio, some on the phone. There are a million things to talk about. Um, I literally cannot get through everything, but we're going to try. One of the things that I want to do at the start of the Show is just thank you, um, our listeners who are here every single week and are part of the Leslie Marshall Show team. Um, We love to hear from you, and so if you want to join in, give us a call at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888 6 Leslie, and that number is 888 653 7543. Or you can join the conversation online on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. Now, Without further ado, I'm going to bring in, oh, okay, first off, I also have to tell everybody, I'm really excited. I am not that good at these things, but we are doing Facebook Live today for the full broadcast yeah so I even put on a really pretty necklace for everybody Where, where's the so camera it's like over here I, I don't okay. know how this works so you guys <laughs> my, my producers and team in studio are going to have to walk me through this okay don't make fun of me too much um, but in studio with me as we try to figure this out mm-hmm. um, none other than Christian Ramos who is at Media Matters Christian serves as the communications and outreach manager he has spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill you know I'm partial as a fellow Senate staffer, spent some time working for Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid, um, was Communications and Outreach Matters, uh, Communication and Outreach Manager for Media Matters for America, their Inclusion Matters Initiative, which I want to talk about a lot. And he's also done a lot of work with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, where he worked with 26 congressional offices. And then when I tell you, working for any of the caucuses <laughs> is like a full-time like job 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because they all call you for everything all at once.
4: Welcome, Christian, to the show. Thank you so much. So uh, I'm still at Media Matters. And I was the communications director for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus.
2: Yes, but okay. you always work for those. Yeah, members. I work for everybody. Yeah, I yeah. was I was everybody. And and they still director. call you and like force you to do things. <laughs> I know they do. I know they do. Um, and joining us on the phone um, is David Morgan. David, his day job is pretty fancy. He's vice president of government affairs at the American Express Company. But what he's most proud of lately is one of his initiatives, which is the Vote It Loud project. Um, He is also one of the founders of what I was able to attend this year, which is the People of Color uh, Correspondence Dinner. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about that as we get further into the show. David, welcome to The Leslie Marshall Show.
0: Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you guys.
2: So, Christian, why don't you tell our listeners who may not be familiar with
4: Media Matters and some of the great work that you're doing there. So... Media Matters is a media watchdog. We uh, correct misinformation in the media, and we really highlight um, when there is a lack of d- diversity or div- diverse voices uh, being featured in the news, and I think we're going to get a little more into that in depth uh, later on, but for for our purposes, we want to make sure that uh, the media is reporting things factually and accurately and also, that we're, we're getting the most uh, diverse representative media out there.
2: And now, David, I know you started Vote It Loud, which is a 501c3, but it's fairly new. Why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about what you're trying to do um, at Vote It Loud? Sure.
0: No, thank you. Um, it's pretty much a lot of the uh, similar things like your last uh, guest um, talked about. Which is for us, um, we wanted to do something that could show communities of color that they can actually engage in the political process in a meaningful way and it won't just be sort of politics as usual. Uh, we, we thought that was pretty important because from our perspective, we view the community at a really important inflection point. Um, coming off the last election, it was very clear that there was a lot of enthusiasm, and the minority vote was actually the decisive vote. So the power of the minority vote seems to be growing, but when you talk to sort of folks in the community, a lot of the activists, it seems that there's still a, a sentiment that sort of this is not a viable means to address their key issues. So being someone in Washington, someone who understands the process, and who really think it can be used as such, I... We thought launching Voted Loud and trying to make that connection and making that clear would be a noble goal, and mm-hmm. now was the right time to do it.
2: So, Christian, one of the things that I find is so important, particularly about Media Matters and the work that you're doing specifically, excuse me, is there are too often what I find is that there's a story— And then there's another angle that disproportionately affects communities of color. But that other angle doesn't come out to the forefront. Um, Whether we're talking about kind of writ large, the kind of immigration conversation, or even as we've talked about criminal justice in this country, now that there's this kind of bipartisan coalition, um, what we've been trying to do and what you often find kind of different actors or voices who are people of color in the media, what they talk about is what this impact has meant for years, um, and how important issues like uh, immigration reform, the direct result of not being able to move forward on US v. Texas or in the criminal justice context, um, the fact that we've had mass incarceration for years, and it was both Democrats and Republicans who got us there. So I feel like that's a unique voice that is so important and doesn't come out enough.
4: So you you bring up a lot of really good points, and I I agree with everything you're saying, but I'm going to take this a step back even further, and I want Mm -hmm. to touch upon some of the stuff that uh, our colleague just mentioned Mm -hmm. in in his speaking. I think what's interesting about all of this here is we have a lot of conversation about diversity and minorities and and siloed conversations and a lot Mm -hmm. of these things, but when you're looking either at media or you're looking at um, voting... Mm -hmm. Right. When you're talking about diverse communities and you're talking about Latinos, African-Americans, the Asian-American community, Mm -hmm. uh, LGBTQ and women, that's more than half of the country. So you're not really talking about diverse voices at that point. You're talking about America. You're talking about our country today, 2016, not the, the 1950s that mm-hmm. some out there would like to take us take back, us back? Make it great again. <laughs> Making it great yeah. again. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think whenever we have these conversations, it's important to contextualize it there. Yeah. Because just like there are many people who are affected by the immigration system, that isn't necessarily a Latino oh, story. Are that, that could be uh, somebody from Africa. That could okay. be somebody from Russia. That could be somebody from Western Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be mm-hmm. uh, a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. So... I think that's an important piece. And when you're looking at it from that conversation, I think when you're looking at the economy, mm-hmm. when you're looking at health care, when you're looking at jobs, if you're really accurately reporting on these stories, you're talking about, uh, you know, these communities that are often marginalized or left out, whether it be the contributions of the African-American community to the economy or Latinos or mm-hmm. the LGBT community. So th- that sort of... Uh, where where we look at this mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. In, a, in a sort of a totality of our country and also... And our
2: experience.
4: And and, and so often what you see is, it's not just that mainstream media has a difficulty negotiating this stuff, but then you also have this whole other set of media actors, conservative media, which really not only seeks oh, yeah. to sort of ignore it, but sort of create boogeymen right. out right. of these various uh-huh. different communities, whether it's to, to your point uh the black lives matter community mm-hmm. right that's mm-hmm. a radically different conversation on fox news than, than it, it is. is on say MSNBC, racialists or any other kind of media center blog right well
2: you are listening to christian ramos media matters david morgan founder of voted loud this is the leslie marshall show we'll be right back after the break and keep the conversation going
0: Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall show. 888-6 Leslie.
2: Welcome back. This is Michelle Juwondo on The Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you, and I want to say a special hey to the revolution in Asheville, North Carolina. (laughs) Welcome to the Leslie Marshall family. If you're joining us right back after the break, in studio with my friend Christian Ramos, who's at Media Matters and David Morgan, founder of Vote It Loud. And we are laughing at me because I am, like, amazed at technology because (laughs) we're doing this for the first (laughs) time. time on Facebook Live, so if yes. you're interested, go and check out Leslie Marshall's Facebook. Please do not um, shame me for the fact that I don't even have a Facebook to do Facebook Live. So we literally had to do this. Can we talk about the
4: <laughs> what you had though?
2: Okay, Christian is trying to call me out because I did have Black Planet in the early
4: nineties. Okay, <laughs> not call <So> out. <laughs> I'm just jealous. I wish I had something <laughs> like Black Planet for me. You Needed Latino
2: worldwide. Latino worldwide. Yeah, Latino, Latino mundo. That's what you needed latino moon though. it didn't exist it didn't happen but I, that's all right now everybody has facebook except for i guess me but anyway going back to the conversation and david i wanted to bring you in there there was an interesting i was um fortunate and i'm sure a lot of people last week were able to attend portions of the national um black journalist association and a national hispanic Journalists conference we had here Every four years or so, they do the conference jointly together, um, and they, had, they always make an invite to the um, presidential candidates, particularly when it's a mm-hmm. presidential year. Uh, Secretary Clinton was actually there, um, and there was a moment where um, both the black and Hispanic journalists asked questions, but after, um, there was a lot of criticism because some people felt like it was an opportunity to definitely have a specific lens after um, asking secretary clinton about issues that were important to communities of color particularly african-american and latino and they missed their chance do you think that journalists of color particularly david have like more of a responsibility to answer those questions um for their community
0: yeah i don't know if it's a more of a responsibility i think they just naturally do that reflexively and you know just all back to your point i hope it's not a missed opportunity i hope um there will be, you know, continued pressure throughout the remaining ninety days of the campaign to elevate these questions of both candidates. And I think, you know, um, I, you know, I also I hosted the um, executive board of board of both uh, NABJ and NEHJ during the first night. And one thing that struck me was the passion that these folks had for their jobs. You know, they're journalists, and the journalists board first to get the news out. So. Um, you know, one of the reasons we even did the dinner, Michelle, is because I think they just go unheralded. You know, I, right, I don't think
2: right, it's really how right.
0: difficult their job is. And, you know, they're dealing with editors and management that's not necessarily um, supportive of their unique angles. So far be it for me to sort of criticize... Uh, um, Sort of what they did there, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to turn it around and what can we do to help them, empower them? Mm, um, mm, I think mm. they're facing a microcosm of sort of, of you know, minority professionals in every sphere. I so, mean, they're dealing with a situation where the media, you're talking about 20% of the GDP and our representation is almost non-existent. That's right. And, that's
2: right. You
0: know, so, you know, so, so I just want to Focus on, listen, they have a tough job. Um, Let's not focus on that one opportunity. But Mm if these are questions which I agree that should be answered of both candidates, we should work with them to find more opportunities for them to
2: do their job and i think you know it's important to recognize that only one candidate secretary clinton came although the invitation was extended to two two obviously donald trump and secretary clinton so christian back to you in studio <clears throat> and if you're just joining us christian ramos in studio media matters david morgan voted loud uh christian by the way tweets at k ramos R-A-M-O-S 1841 if you want to join the conversation on Twitter. Um, as you look at the next, I think we have less than 90 days now before the election, what are you looking for? What are you paying attention to?
4: I think it really does come down to uh, an inclusive conversation uh, of the totality of the United States as it is now. One of the things that I follow a lot at Media Matters is sort of the creeping of white nationalist uh kkk members into sort of the mainstream media conversation uh because of donald trump which is something Mm. that is absolutely fascinating and scary because i think if you were to ask you know you i think we were talking about millennials earlier Mm -hmm. if you were to ask a lot of millennials who's david duke i don't think any of them know who that is right right Right? right, and this concept that in 2016 that (laughs) <laughs> there may be people out there who just because of the color of my skin don't think I should exist mm, yeah, in this world yeah, which yep, I think is just yep. a very foreign concept to people who were born in mm-hmm. the 1990s I think there's a general understanding of xenophobia but a lot of these other things that are now being uh, brought into and look, we had a member of Congress during the Republican National <laughs> right. Committee go on television subgroups and literally said <laughs> that the all of the contributions in Western society right. came from uh, Anglo males. Right, right. And that nobody else had contributed yeah. anything. And, know, and and this yeah. was and, and to be fair, this was not a huge controversy right. when it happened. And this he's was a sitting
2: like, member of Congress. Yeah, sitting Let's member mean, of Congress. Who who has repeatedly been reelected <laughs> back to his district with these outlandish
4: comments. Right. And and so again when when right. we were talking earlier about immigration And sort of the the siloing and and all of that stuff, Steve King, that's the representative who said this stuff on MSNBC, primetime conversation, he's known for being a guy who says nasty things about immigrants. And this was the first time where he really just took that and just Mm -hmm. said, well, I'm going to get rid of any pretences (laughs) about this, and we're just going to say, actually – you know, white power. Right, <laughs> white power. Yeah.
2: on MSNBC. On MSNBC. Yes. This yeah. isn't on Fox. This is where we are. This yeah. is where we are today. <laughs> no, that's that's so deep. So, David, uh, in our remaining minutes, what are you looking forward to? What are you paying attention to the next ninety days?
0: You no, know, I think it, it goes back. I think you know, turnout in the minority community will be very much so pivotal. So, as we, I focus a lot on the pollings and the data and the science. So. I'm sort of looking to see sort of, you know, um, what are some of the what we call push-pull factors that are going to motivate turnout. I want to see are the candidates um, talking to the issues of concern, like police brutality, some of the education and other key issues for our communities. And I think that's sort of what I'm hoping to see, because, uh, again, I think turnout in the minority community will still decide the outcome of this election.
2: You are listening to Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. Many thanks to David Morgan, founder, voted loud, Christian Ramos, media manager, uh, media matters manager of the world. I'm just giving you a total promotion <laughs> I'll here. I'll take it. <laughs> um, and when we come back after the break, we'll be talking about one of my favorite topics, voting rights here in studio with a number of great guests. We'll be right back. This is The Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando. On the Leslie Marshall Show and so glad to be with you. Another wonderful Thursday day. Every day we get a chance to be around. I tend to think it's a good day. Um, But I'm a glass half full kind of lady. Listen, I love hearing from you. So go ahead and give us a call at 888 6 Leslie. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can follow the conversation on Facebook Live for the first time. And again, I'm, I'm not even on Facebook. So I'm so impressed that we're doing this. Um, if you want to check out the show and see where we make the magic happen, you can go to facebook.com forward slash show and check us out. Um, or follow us on Twitter. We are everywhere. So you can get us on Twitter, you can get us on Facebook, or you can just listen to the radio. We'll take you any way we can get you. Now, I'm excited, and for those who are familiar, you know, I've spent most of my um, day job here at the Center for American Progress really working on the frame, how do we make America more just and fair? And I'm excited because my next group of guests do this work day in and day out. Some I've been friends with for a long time before we had kids and a lot (laughs) less gray hair. Other are newer friends, but I'm glad that they are here. Um, So let's just get right into it. You know, I I talk voting rights quite often um, and there's been a recent string of voting rights victories, victories. And I don't usually get to say that. So the fact that I'm saying, is a really good day North Dakota, Wisconsin, North Carolina Kansas, Michigan and Texas but the question is why are we doing this in the first place and how do we even get here so to help me answer that question In studio with me, none other than John Greenbaum. He is the chief counsel at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. He tweets at John M. Greenbaum or at lawyer, L-A-W-E-R-S, com, C-O-M-M. John, say hi. Hi.
3: Hey, Michelle. Great to be on.
2: (laughs) Also joining us in studio, none other than Liz Kennedy. Liz Kennedy is here. Where's Liz? There she is. She is the Director for Democracy and Government Reform here at the Center for American Progress. You can find her on Twitter at Liz, L-I-Z-K-E-N-N-E-D underscore Liz Kennedy. Say hi, Liz.
5: Hi, Michelle.
2: Good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and on the phone, Kyla Crane. She's the assistant general counsel at the NAACP. She tweets at kcrane at naacp. And Lisa Bornstein. She's the legal director and senior legal advisor at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. You can find her at tweets at civilrights.org. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Hi, Michelle.
6: Thanks for having me. This is Lisa.
2: Hey, Michelle, this is Keela. Hey. Thank you. (laughs) So, you know, John, I want to start with you because, you know, from time immemorial, you've been looking at kind of where we are and particularly been focusing on litigation. But how do we get here in the first place that we're even in court having these strings of victories that we've had?
3: Well, what you saw happen uh, beginning around the middle of the last decade is you saw a lot of state legislatures really think about certain state legislatures really think about ways to make it more difficult for some people to vote. Uh, if, if you look at it, these legislators, I think, were they looked at the 2000 election and how close it was and mm-hmm. figured, hmm, if we can do some things that make it harder for certain people to vote, it might increase our chances of winning. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's a real unfortunate thing when you think about democracy. The whole idea is that people should who are eligible voters should be able to, to cast their ballot, have it counted, and let's decide who wins the elections on who has the better ideas, mm-hmm. not based on who's prevented from, from voting. And, and then when the Supreme Court came down with the Crawford decision invo- involving Indiana's uh, voter ID law in 2008, um, that emboldened a lot of state legislatures to go even farther. And, um, you know, what we're we're seeing right now is we're seeing the pendulum turn the other way, the courts looking at these laws, looking at their disenfranchising effect, and at the same time seeing no real benefit in terms of preventing voter fraud by these laws. And, Either.
2: And, and Kila, now you are at the NAACP, um, who for since the beginning of time, it feels like, has right. been talking about voting rights. Um, but just this week, your president was arrested um, because of the Voting Rights Act and kind of not seeing movement from Congress. Like, so g- tell our listeners what's going on and what happened there.
7: Sure. Well, thank you again for having us all, Michelle. It's always good to talk with. Always you good and- to
2: be with. And you know what? For our listeners, Kilo went to Howard University, and I went to Hampton University. So we were supposed to be rivals, but we actually <laughs> love each other. So there's and that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
7: So, right, um, yeah, our, our uh, president and CEO, Cornell William Brooks, um, our youth and college division director, Stephen Green, and some young people went to Roanoke, Virginia, on Monday to uh, really speak to and press upon um, Representative uh, Goodlatte uh, of Virginia. He is the chairman of the House's Judiciary Committee, and they have continued to fail uh, to hold hearings um to our liking um, around the Voting Rights Act. As we know in Shelby County versus Holder, the Supreme Court gutted for Section 4B, which um, covered in whole or in part uh, 16 states um, under Section 5, uh, making sure that they had to do preclearance before uh, some of these um, laws were put in place. And since then, uh, the House has failed to hold a hearing on how we can uh, look at this law and revise this law and strengthen the Voting Rights Act to ensure that everyone across the country has an equal and unfettered right to vote. Um, and we have called upon uh, Representative Goodlack to uh, do his duty um, as chairman of the committee and hold a hearing on um, how we can get this done, uh, but he has decided not to do that. and so. Um, our president went down to his district office in Roanoke and sat in in his office until he spoke to us uh, and committed to having hearings um, on this uh, matter. He refused to do so, and um, in our long standing history of civil disobedience, um, our president and our uh, director of youth and college were arrested for standing and using their the constitutional rights to uh, force uh, Representative Gillette, and we're. Um, not going to uh, let up on that case. Our wonderful I love it. Team I love it. In, in, um, um, Washington, D.C., our Washington Bureau is, is going to continue on that case to ensure that uh, we can restore Section 4B and to protect all of our citizens and their right to vote.
2: And now, Lisa, you are a part of kind of one of the largest leadership, um, the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, one of the largest civil rights coalition to the extent that you've seen um, all of these organizations, and I know John, you're one of the section co-chairs on voting rights, have you seen kind of a broader engagement from all of the groups now that we've had a few of these victories? And Liz, I don't know if you also want to say that. Uh,
6: I would say, yeah, you know, we've had um, um, we've had all, all kinds of folks involved. I mean, obviously, and NAACP has always been a leader. Um, the Center for American Progress and Lawyers Committee have also been really active. Um, Lawyers Committee, you know, leads a lot of the litigation that you've been mentioning at the beginning. Um, but we've had um, religious organizations, mm-hmm. we've had labor unions, we've had a huge, um, broad coalition, LGBT-focused groups, groups that may not have initially thought that voting rights was the, you know, focus of their work, but have realized that, You know, if you can't vote, then none of your other rights are going to get vindicated. So that it is really the seminal right, and we've really had great um, involvement. In fact, you know, the um, NAACP's sit-in at Goodlatte's office was really um, a great second act. Uh, The leadership conference last year had uh, organized a big rally in front of um, Representative Goodlatte's office, asking Mm -hmm. then. To have a hearing, um, you know, and not only have a hearing but to move the legislation. There are two bills in Congress, either of which would be a great improvement um, oh, after the Shelby decision. Um, and, um, you know, and what's really telling is that Goodlap's statement after uh, the sit in by the NAA um, was basically just completely recycled from what he said. You Before. know, a year ago when we did our <laughs> our, our um, activity, and the truth is, we've documented, you know, thousands and thousands of disenfranchised voters since then. So, his statement really rings very hollow.
2: So when we come back from the break, Liz, I really want to talk about why are people so afraid to open up the franchise? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, John alluded to it at the top of his comments, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, And you are listening to Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show talking about one of my favorite topics, voting rights. Let's keep the conversation going and we'll be right back after the break.
0: You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888 6
1: Leslie.
2: Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Joando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Love to hear from you. So join in the conversation. 886 Leslie. That's eight 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 six five three seven five four three. 653-7543 or find us on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. Excited because I'm back in studio with John Greenbaum, Chief Counsel at Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. Liz Kennedy, Director for Democracy and Government here at the Center for American Progress. Keila Crane, Assistant General counsel at NAACP, and Lisa Bornstein, legal director and senior legal advisor at the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights. So Liz, before the break, I started with this kind of big overarching question. Um, What is the fear that people have when you talk about access and equity?
5: Yeah, Uh, well, I, on the one hand, I have described this essentially uh, as, unfortunately, a. In some instances, it appears a racial panic. Mm, uh,
3: and mm. what,
5: what, what we need to get back to is an understanding that election integrity is what happens when every eligible American is able to cast a ballot that is counted. Mm. So as John mentioned at the top, you know, we should be having a discussion about whose policies are actually, you know, preferable for the majorities in this country. Um, Every American should be able to have their voice heard at the polls so that we can bring about responsive and reflective governments that are accountable to all of the people. And we have... Seen uh, in some states, you know, an expansion of the franchise, and that's Mm -hmm. actually what the story in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They in 2007 had expanded their franchise by adopting same-day registration. That's right. By bringing about a program where they pre-registered their 16 and 17 year olds in Mm -hmm. high school Mm -hmm. to become automatically registered when they turned 18, to expand their early voting, all of these ways that they understood um, that it is an American right to cast your vote, and that we should set up our systems to effectuate that right for every American. Then in the 2008 elections, we saw African-American participation <laughs> rise to the same <laughs> level in some states as white participation in that election and had traditionally been higher. Um, and so in some of these states with then loosening restrictions, we saw a cutback on those uh, election programs. Those and as the North Carolina court found in ways that were targeted with near surgical precision That's right. to the voting tools that were disproportionately used by African-American communities communities, um, and an attempt to bring these barriers that would disproportionately block people of color and low-income people, right. and it ends up hitting, you know, all sorts of Americans across, elderly um, people without access to transportation, so it's unfortunate.
2: No, So, Dean from Buffalo, I know you've been holding for a while, and so I want to bring you into this country. Dean, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show.
1: Thanks very much. You know, I just got to say, I love the... Facebook Live account. It's like you guys are on TV, where everyone belongs.
2: We're so fancy now, Dean. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> I know, man, I, I could barely set up a, a VCR years ago. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't want to. I don't want to take up too much time, but the, it, it's weird. The thing that makes America great, you know, I either right to vote. Um, it's. Weird, although sadly weird, because the GOP doesn't want having people to, to be able to vote. Hmm. And so they're throwing all of these voter registration laws at people. I really agree with what Senator uh, Hillary Clinton has to say about, um, you know, making sure everybody becomes eligible uh, to vote when they turn 17 or 18.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And John, you've mm-hmm. you've done a lot. I mean, part of your litigation has been once again, restoring some of these points of access for voters in all the states.
3: Absolutely. Um, the Texas I.D. case, which uh, we won a couple weeks ago, uh, people. <laughs> yeah.
2: I know it was a big deal.
3: Hey, most conservative circuit court in the That's country. Right. Yep. We 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 one nine to six and they said look this violates the voting rights act and uh we'll go back to the district court we will also prove the the law was passed with discriminatory intent Mm -hmm. and you know it's a powerful statement and it it was these wins were years in the making Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. people on the ground and the lawyers and others um people like the caller working in the community Mm -hmm. to really demonstrate that these laws affect people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to demonstrate the how hard it was how badly some people wanted to vote and how hard it was Mm -hmm. for them to get the id and then you know one of our clients in the texas case basically saying look if it comes down to Mm -hmm. um being able to buy food or being able to pay for the id that i need in order to vote i can't my family can't eat that's right. That ID. That's right. And, it, you know, it's just such a powerful statement, and, and, you know, it shouldn't come down to that. That's right. And, Keela, yeah, go oh ahead. Sorry. Jump in, please. No, Lisa, jump in.
6: Lisa, I just this. wanted to say, you know, the issue of um, of Democrat versus Republican partisan issues really weren't um, relevant uh, when the Voting Act Rights Act was passed. It was overwhelmingly bipartisanly supported all of the reauthorizations were overwhelmingly bipartisan. Um, Even now, the bills in Congress are are bipartisan bills. So it's not necessarily a Democrat versus Republican thing. It's the idea of allowing every vote to count, allowing everyone to participate versus wanting to try and limit who can participate. And that's a real different issue, and it's not necessarily a partisan issue. Mm -hmm,
5: mm -hmm. And it certainly shouldn't be. You know, I think that that's really the, the question is that, uh, every individual, the right to vote is a personal right to vote. So mm-hmm. even if 90% or 95 even if some vast majority of people already have the particular piece of identification that might be necessary, the point is that they have no more right to cast that vote than any other individual who doesn't already have a driver's license because they haven't driven in 30 years, mm-hmm. because they're old, or because they are unable to you know, afford a car and so don't have a a driver's license and i thought that 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 uh the piece of evidence that john just mentioned where this woman said you know a her birth certificate. She was going to have to pay for a birth certificate to get her driver's license, and a birth certificate cost $42. The district court in Texas found that to be a poll tax initially, and that is exactly what we moved away from when we recognized Mm -hmm. that things that might be facially neutral Mm -hmm. still hit people disproportionately, and the most important thing is it prevents us from deciding... From each having a voice in our process, and from deciding together our future as a country. So, you know, the 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 the. Um motto from the North Carolina Moral Monday movement is forward together, not one step back. And I think Lisa, the point you raised about so many faith groups and mm-hmm. so many other groups coming in That's
2: right. And Keela, you your very own um, Reverend Barber who spoke so eloquently at the at the Democratic National Convention kind of touched on the reason why we're actually here today.
7: Right. I mean it, it, if we can step back a little bit and just talk about the sweeping um, opinion that the 4th Circuit wrote a couple weeks ago in the North Carolina case. And, you know, we're so very proud that we were able to file that case with our North Carolina State Conference as well as the case. Uh, We filed that first um, um, with our Texas NAACP. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that, as you stated earlier, our right to vote is what all other rights rest. And That's so right. when you're talking about all of the other issues that our, our country is deeply involved with, uh, particularly after yesterday with the Department of Justice's um, scathing report about the Baltimore City Police Department, The right to be able to cast your ballot for persons who will be able to then make decisions about policing and about training and about how folks are governed and um, secured in our cities and our counties um, and our towns is crucial. And so without being able to exercise that right to vote, um, we put other aspects of our lives and our children's lives at risk if we're not able to put folks in office respective of their party of their party um, or if they have no party at all mm-hmm. um, to ensure that we are able to do uh, and live and breathe and work um, in a place that keeps us safe uh, but in, in the North Carolina case uh, which when we when it came down and um, we were reading in it... Kila.
2: I hate to do this, but we're doing so much and we're talking and I'm going to have to bring you all back. (laughs) And, you know, I will, because I love talking about voting rights, because this personally for me is the fight and cause of so much of my life. You're listening to Michelle Jawando. I want to thank all my guests in studio and on the phone. And we'll be right back after
7: the break. To women who hoped to evade the ticking clock of time. Dr. Frederick Brandt was the most potent drug dealer in the world. And the dealer got high on his own supply. From Imperative Entertainment and the team behind Broken Hearts comes a new series that will challenge everything you know about fame, fortune, and the fear of growing old. I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox. Botox.